sin, writes the apostle, we deceive only ourselves. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. With that great assurance, let us go to God with our corporate prayer of confession. O God, whose upward call in Christ Jesus we have so often chosen to ignore, we confess that we settle for lesser goals while you summon us to embrace the realm of heaven. We seldom look beyond our own interest to the well-being of our sisters and brothers. We can see the wasteful acts of other people, but not our own selfish habits. We exaggerate the contributions we make, but ignore the sacrifice of others. We need forgiveness, O God. Do a new thing within us and among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is in the position to pass judgment on your life? Is it your worst enemy? Is it your best friend? Is it your next door neighbor? Is it your boss at work? Who is in the position to pass judgment on you? Only one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And friends, Jesus prays for us. Jesus reigns in power for us. Jesus intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. As the people of faith, let us say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's now take a moment to greet one another.
Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are so glad you're with us today on this, the fourth, fifth Sunday of Lent, and we are grateful that we can be together as we uh, continue our journey to the cross. Many of you are reading through the Gospel of John with us, and we are uh, perhaps all the way through the Gospel and maybe reading through it again, and we hope that you are finding that to be a, uh, an important guide for you as you uh, journey with Jesus to uh, his death and resurrection. We uh, encourage you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor and we hope that uh, through that uh, experience you will recognize maybe some names of old friends and perhaps see some names of friends yet to be and we hope that you will want to continue perhaps your conversation that you just had over underneath the tree afterwards and there's lots of opportunities there for you to sign up and be a part of life here at Church of the Palms and all the different ministries that uh, we are endeavoring within. A couple of things to bring to your attention today. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, we are looking forward to uh, Holy Week, which starts in a week from today, Palm Sunday. You will see on the back of your bulletin all of the uh, services that we are having during the course of Holy Week, not only on Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and of course Easter Sunday, but also will be uh, having some prayer times throughout the course of the week, Monday through Friday, and uh, we invite you to come and be a part of all those experiences uh, here at Church of the Palms. Uh, the day before, uh, next Saturday, we will be having the Easter egg hunt here on our campus, and so we invite you, if your families, children, uh, grandchildren, anyone you wish to invite to come and be a part of that wild and raucous event here on the campus. And uh, we would love to have you come. And if, you, uh, if you're not an Easter egg hunter yourself, you might want to come and just watch and experience uh, this campus being filled with children and families. And it's just a great opportunity and a great way for us to reach out to the community as well. Many of you have received an invitation uh, from our nominating committee to uh, respond to the call of being a shepherding deacon. And uh, Dr. Brown asked me to remind you, if you've not yet uh, heard, given us the chance to hear back from you about that opportunity, we would love to hear from you over the course of this next week as we prepare to nominate our uh, deacons, shepherding deacons, uh, into ministry here at Church of the Palms. We received word uh, just last night that Marjorie Kohler passed away after a very brief stay in the hospital. Many of you know Marjorie, and so we were very sad to get that news. We do not yet know of uh, information relative to her services, but you may call the church office <coughs> at the beginning of this week to find out what those uh, details are. We also heard this week that uh, two of our Great servants here at Church of the Palms, John Ferreira and Judy Lutz, have uh, announced that they are going to retire. All those in favor of against their retirement, raise your hands. <laughs> Sorry, friends. You're stuck with us. <clears throat> Uh, John and Judy have, uh, of course, been an incredible uh, team leading our music ministry here for well over 20 years. John is in his 25th year. Judy's in her 23rd year here at Church of the Palms. And uh, so we know that this is a well-deserved next chapter of your lives. This is actually Judy's second retirement. She retired 22 and a half years ago, but uh, she couldn't stay away from that. But uh, we love the two of you. And um, the good news is, is that they're not retiring right away. They've given us some time to 
kind of get over the shock, and uh, Judy is leaving us at the beginning of August. August 1st will begin her retirement, and John's retirement will begin on October the 1st. So we have some time, so uh, brace yourselves and uh, make a point to, uh, uh, to uh, spend some time with them during this time, and we will, of course, have some celebrations uh, planned over, over the next several months as we say goodbye, but we'll also say thank you for the two of you and your ministry. Would you say thank you to them? We are uh, sponsoring the Jesus Film as a uh, means by which to reach out to a people group in, uh, in Africa, and we have been hearing about that over the course of the last couple of weeks. And today, uh, Ren Campais is here to introduce to us a friend of the Jesus Film Project. So come on up, guys, and join us as we hear about this very important mission opportunity for Church of the Palms. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Ren Campheis, and I'm an elder here at Church of the Palms. And today I have a very special friend with me. Uh, his name is Gabriel Deguia. Uh, <clears throat> Gabriel has worked for Campus Crusade for Christ in partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators, who we sponsored for a number of years. He's worked uh, there 18 years. He's now the regional representative for the Jesus Film, and that means he works with individuals and with churches to engage them in the Jesus Film ministry. Uh, I want you to welcome uh, uh, Gabriel, with whom we are partnering, as we attempt to share the good news of the risen Lord with a people group in Africa, uh, with a special offering goal of $50,000 to be taken uh, next Sunday. So here's Gabriel. Well, for God so loved the world that he, you know the rest. You can finish that sentence because you've heard it before. But at this very moment, there are over 300 million people who cannot finish that sentence. They've never heard it before because they do not have a single portion of scripture in their language. These are the unreached, imprisoned behind the barriers of language and illiteracy. But God does love the world. He loves the whole world, all the peoples of the world, and I get excited about the gospel being accessible to everyone, everyone having a chance to hear in their heart language. What is a heart language? It's that language that one dreams in and talks to their babies in and proposes marriage in and says, I love you in. Because we at the Jesus Film believe that no one should have to learn another language to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus and to truly understand that God loves them. By God's grace, you, this beautiful church, the Church of the Palms, is about to do something truly unprecedented. Did you know that? Provide an unreached people group their first opportunity to meet Jesus and hear him speak their language through the Jesus film. If you didn't know, the Jesus film is a two-hour film based on the Gospel of Luke that tells the story of Christ Jesus. And since its beginning in 1979, the film has been translated into over 1,160 languages. It's been shown in every country and estimated that more than 250 million men, women, and children around the world have indicated a decision to follow Jesus after watching it. 
but there are still billions more who need to hear the gospel. According to research, there are 865 documented language groups containing more than 50,000 people that do not have a translation of the gospel. These 865 language groups represent roughly 323 million people. That's a little bit bigger than our country. The Jesus Film is committed to completing these remaining languages so that everyone has a chance to hear Jesus in their heart language. With the help of the Church of the Palms, one of the African language groups will be crossed off that list. For security reasons, I can't specifically name that language, but I can tell you that this language group has a population of over 135,000 people. They have no portion of the Bible in their language, and 93% of them are not Christians. Helping bring the word of God to this people in their language for the first time in history is truly an amazing privilege, and the Jesus Film Project is honored to partner with the Church of the Palms to help make this a reality. Fulfilling the Great Commission is the job of every follower of Jesus, and never before has the Christian community been more unified in this task. None of us is big enough to finish the task alone, but together we can see the finish line. In Revelation 7, this gives us a glimpse of what that finish line looks like. As John wrote, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, nation, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Imagine that day, church, people you do not know now, but will for eternity stand shoulder to shoulder with Africans who will hear for the first time based on what will happen by God's grace in next week's offertory. To God be the glory. Thank you, gentlemen. What a worthy cause. And another wonderful thing for us to pray for as we join together in our congregational prayer. Shall we pray? We thank and praise you, O God, for your sovereignty. You do whatever you please. You are not limited by what is possible, for with you all things are possible. You are not limited by a lack of knowledge. You know all things, past, present, future, actual, and possible. You're not limited by location, for you are everywhere. The only limits you have are those imposed by your own nature, your holiness, your justice, your love, and your goodness. So Father, this gives us great hope when our struggles continue, sometimes days, hours, minutes, when we may not feel like going on. None of us are strangers to discouragement in this room, but Lord, through thick and thin, we have yoked ourselves to you. We are committed ever, forever, to be children and companions of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be students of the nature of your kindness and grace as we journey with you. We will not allow ourselves to be bored or unchallenged. 
So dear Jesus, thank you for freeing us from being ourselves, for breaking the bonds of our sin, for bringing us from death into our trespasses and sins to life. By your grace, you've seated us with you in the heavenly places. Thank you for choosing to be the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Thank you for regenerating us and giving us new birth. Thank you for baptizing us into the body of Christ, for dwelling within us as the down payment and guarantee of what we joyously look forward to. So now we ask you to fill us and control us. Empower us, we pray, not only today, but on a daily basis, that Jesus might live out his life in us. We do remember, Lord, our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution. We wish they could be rescued from this fate, but when this is not possible, we pray you'll help them to stand firm. We also want the world to recognize the right that you have given all people to believe as we choose. But we also pray for those who lost family and spouses and are bereaved today. And we just pray that your spirit will touch them in a new and loving way. We pray for our leaders. Please guide our president and our Congress through the current maze. We ask the same for our state and our local leaders. We ask for your blessing upon those who protect us, our police, our fire departments, and our armed services here and abroad. But God of compassion, we also bring our personal needs before you. We know that you keep track of every sparrow that falls, and you know the number of hairs on our heads. You care about the details of our lives, and so we ask that your will be done for us in every situation. And as we continue to sing your praise and study your word in this service, we pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to each and every one of us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and in the prayer he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now it is time for us to bring our tithes and offerings before the Lord as the ushers come to minister to us.
Lord, we pray that you will touch us to the point where we urgently desire the privilege of seeking new resources to build your kingdom. With your grace, touch our hearts, and every time we give, create a spirit of generosity within us toward you and toward those where these monies are going. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. be seated. to come on down. You're halfway here at the end of our spring break here. Nice job. Way to sing. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. 
How's it going? We are continuing our conversation about honesty. So, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, not only did I wear green, but I brought me Lucky Charms with me. Can you see, does anyone like Lucky Charms? Wow, you got good parents. My kids are all like, yeah, I love all the sugar. So, you know why I brought Lucky Charms? This little guy, this wee little guy, reminded me of our main character in our, in our lesson today that's found in Luke. This little guy was so short, he had to climb up a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus when Jesus was walking by. Does anybody remember who that little guy was? Anyone remember his name? It starts with a Z. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I'm so glad you're here. So we're going to learn together. So Zacchaeus climbed this tree. Jesus walked by and Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down because I am going to eat at your house today. Doubt they were going to have lucky charms, but they were going to go there. Well, guess what? The people were mad. They didn't want Jesus to go to Zacchaeus' house. And you know why? Because Zacchaeus was dishonest. Zacchaeus was actually a thief. When I think about a thief, I think about like those black masks that those guys wear. Well, you know, I have five daughters. We do not have black masks. We have a little more flourish in our evilness. So here's what Zacchaeus would do. He was a tax collector. So he would look at his little list and he goes, hmm, Nicholas Clifton, you owe $100 to the government. And he'd knock, knock, knock on the door and he'd go, Nicholas, you owe $300. And Nicholas goes, man, that's so much. I can't pay that. You pay or you're going to jail. So Nicholas would have to pay $300 you know what Zacchaeus would do? Give 100 to the government and put the other 200 in his pocket. So he was really wealthy, but he didn't have any friends because he was so dishonest. Well, that is until Jesus came into his house and into his life. And you know what Zacchaeus decided? That day, I'm not going to be a thief anymore. I'm going to be an honest man from now on. And so you know what he did? He gave half of his money away to the poor. And then for every person that he was dishonest to, he paid them back four times the amount. So when he stole $200 from Nicholas, he paid Nicholas back $800. Pretty cool, right? So here's the thing. None of us are as dishonest as Zacchaeus. But all of us make mistakes sometimes. But I think if we look at Zacchaeus, we can learn something from this wee little man. We can learn that if we invite Jesus into our lives, if we admit when we do something wrong, when we're dishonest, if we say we're sorry, and then we make it right, we make it better because we go above and beyond so that someone can trust us again. That's what we're going to learn from Zacchaeus, and that's what we're going to talk about some more in our kids' worship. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just ask that you help each one of us to be honest with every dealing that we have. And when we do make a mistake, we just pray that you give us the courage to say that we're sorry, to admit when we've done it, and then to help us make it better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now for the adult sermon. 
which is never as good as the children's sermon. (laughs) Our scripture this morning comes to us from the gospel according to John, the 12th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made a pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, that you love us enough to come to us in the person of Jesus, and you love us enough to give us this word to tell us about this Jesus who comes to us, to tell us, in fact, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We are grateful that we have a language in which to hear that. So we pray, O Lord, that you will bless us as we come to this time and as we wonder about how you are speaking to us even now, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Each one of our lives, I believe, have moments when we encounter someone or something that is so marvelous, so magnificent, so beautiful, so unexpected, that for a moment, we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed by this moment that is filled with a sense of what should we call it glory or grandeur. I can remember as if it were yesterday, the day when my father took me to my first major league baseball game. I was 10 years old. He took me down to the old Tiger Stadium in Detroit. We were not Tiger fans necessarily, my father and me. We were Cardinal fans, but the Tigers in 1968 had a pitcher named Denny McLean, and he was winning just about every game he was pitching. He won 31 games that year, still a record for wins in a season. My father, I think, wanted to treat me to a little history, so he took me down to see Denny McLean pitch. It was a day game. The sky was blue, the temperature warm. I had on my hand my baseball glove, which I was planning to use to catch the dozens of balls I was sure were going to be hit directly to me. (laughs) I had played a lot of baseball, Sandlot and Little League, and I had watched a lot of baseball on TV, but I had never been to a major league 
baseball park. And I can remember, as I said, like it was yesterday, walking up the ramps of Tiger Stadium up to the upper deck. And when we got to our section and walked through that little tunnel to the seats, I can remember opening up before me the grandeur of a Major League Baseball park, something like I had never, ever seen. Stands that reach to the sky, grass as green as emerald, the infield man manicured as with a comb, baselines straight and brilliant white, outfield walls a million miles away. <laughs> the murmur of the crowd, the bark of the peanuts vendor. My heart leapt, and for a moment I was overcome by the glory. Now, I know that if you are not a baseball fan or never been to a professional stadium like that, it may be hard for you to identify with this young baseball fan's experience. But I know somewhere along the way, you have had some kind of those moments. I had the same kind of experience when I heard for the first time Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, or when I read Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek or when I saw for the first time the Grand Canyon, or when I fell in love with my wife or witnessed the birth of my child. Moments of glory, moments of grandeur that enwrap you and that you are not ever inclined to forget. I didn't want that baseball game to end. I didn't want Adagio for Strings to end. I didn't want Pilgrim at Tinker Creek to end. I didn't want my time at the Grand Canyon to end, and my family means more to me with every passing day. C.S. Lewis calls these moments of grandeur and glory, he calls them joy. Joy. This is what joy is when you are lost, if only for a moment, in the marvelous, the magnificent, the beautiful, the unexpected, and the overwhelming. And it's in these moments, Lewis tells us, that we know that there really is something else to this world than what we can see. Something behind and beyond what we have experienced in the glory. Something marvelous, magnificent, beautiful, overwhelming, that lies as the source of these moments, these momentary moments of grandeur and glory. Joy is when you finally see, if only for a glimpse, what the world is really about. We have been reading together through the Gospel of John in this Lenten season, as I mentioned earlier. Some of you have made it through the entire gospel and you're on your way through it again. Others of you are taking a more deliberate pace, but we are all far enough along to notice that the way John tells the story of Jesus is through a series of encounters and conversations that Jesus has with a wide assortment of individuals. Early on, there is that Sanhedrin member Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. 
And then there's the woman from Samaria who comes to Jesus at the well. There is the, the blind man whom Jesus heals. There is the woman caught in adultery, dragged before Jesus. There is the, the dead man, Lazarus, who gets raised to life. There is Pilate, who seems not to be able to find any fault in the beaten rabbi. There is Peter, who gets pulled aside by the resurrected Christ and asks, Do you love me? Over and over in John's gospel, we get introduced to these common, ordinary people who are drawn into the presence of Jesus, and the encounter evokes something from within them. They, they see something in Jesus that is either marvelous or magnificent or beautiful or overwhelming, and they are evoked into some kind of response. Lazarus comes to life. Nicodemus breaks rank with the religious rulers. Peter begs Jesus to wash every inch of him. The Samaritan woman risks conversing with the Jewish rabbi. Each of them take these leaps of faith, as it were, because they have had this, this moment of grandeur and glory. They are, they are caught up in the, in the joy they have finally seen in this rabbi what the world is really about. So all this helps us to understand the story we read this morning from John's 12th chapter when Jesus pays a visit to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two sisters and their brother. Now what we know is that in the chapter before, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He's, he's brought a dead man to life. And now he's visiting this man and his two sisters in their home. A week or so ago, these two sisters were weeping and wailing at the tomb of their dead brother. A week or so ago, Jesus was weeping at that same tomb. No one in that moment could have imagined that these four were, would be together again. Jesus, along with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And John tells us that in that moment when those four were together, Mary saw something. She saw something that, well, that maybe the others weren't able to see. She saw in that moment glory. She saw the grandeur. She saw her brother with life in him, and she saw the one who had brought him to life. And the only thing she knew to do, the only thing she knew to do, was to find the most expensive thing that she was ever going to own, the thing that was supposed to last her her whole life long, the thing that, that she might very well have retired on, the thing that she could have fed the town with. And she bathed and showered Jesus with it. Chanel number five all over the rabbi. She, in essence, took all the chips and placed them on him. Because she had to. She, she had to. Because she had the joy. She saw the glory. She was seized by the grandeur. She knew that this was what the world was about.
resurrection and life and goodness and truth and eternity. It was all there in front of her. And, and she was doubling down. She was going for broke. Now the truth is, all throughout the story of Jesus, there are all sorts of wagers that are taking place. People are betting with him or they are betting against him. The disciples drop their nets and they wager for him. The Pharisees cling to their Torah and they bet against him. The woman at the well pushes all of her chips toward him. The Roman procurator folds his hand and gives in to the crowd. Nicodemus throws his lots with a Nazarene rabbi and the soldiers underneath the cross cast their lots for what they think is a criminal's coat. You see, in the story of Jesus, everyone's making a bet. Everyone is casting a vote on whether they think that what the rabbi says and what the rabbi does is what the world is really about. And the truth is, it's not just, it's not just in the Bible. Every one of us is making a bet, aren't we? Because the great wager of life, the great wager of living is deciding on what you think life is ultimately about, ultimately about. What am I aligning my life truly around? Because what I align my life around is likely what I think life is really about. It's where I'm putting my chips, it's where I'm casting my lots. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, well, that is where your heart is. And that's why I want to take you back to those moments in your life when you experienced, if only for moments, if when you experienced glory and grandeur, the moments when you, you found the joy. Because I would be willing to wager that when you go back and recall those moments, and you remember back to those moments when you were struck by the marvelous and the magnificent and the beautiful and the overwhelming, it was likely not something you saw on TV or read in the newspaper or found in your business quarterly report or discovered in your retirement account statement. I'm guessing you did not find the joy there. I am betting that when you had the moments of your life, when you experienced something grand and glorious, it was something that you knew was connected to something far deeper and wider. Whether it was the expanse of creation that you saw out in the world, or the birth of your child, or the unconditional love of another, or the forgiveness of an enemy, or the perfect sound of a symphony, or the brilliance of a Van Gogh, or the smile from an act of your kindness, or the movement of the Holy Spirit, whatever it was, you knew deep down that what you were experiencing was truly what the world is about. And, and if in that moment, if in that moment you had had a pound of real nard or a million bucks or the rest of your life, 
while you may have pushed all those chips to the center of the table. Do you know what I mean by that? So I've got in my mind this young woman that I know. I've known her <clears throat> since she was a baby. One of the dearest people I've ever known. I watch her as she grows up and she goes off to college. And I watch her as she is a track star running for a Big Ten University, unfortunately not the University of Michigan. <laughs> but I forgave her for that. <laughs> and she's very smart. And she has her whole life in front of her. And there are so many different paths she can take. She can pretty much do anything she wants. But while in college, she gets involved in a ministry nearby that she attends, and she finds there within that ministry a body of students who are worshiping the one named Jesus. And she finds in that community Jesus himself. She has an encounter not unlike the ones we've been reading about in the Bible. And she realizes that this is what it's all about. This is what life's about. Life is about this Jesus. She finds in him the joy, the magnificent joy. She is in that, that moment. And so she reaches into her backpack and she pulls out this jar. And inside this jar is her life. It's her future. It's, it's, it's her career. And she cracks it open, and she says, here it is. Here's my life. Here's my future. And there is such a sweet fragrance that fills the room, this offering of hers. And she bathes Jesus with it. And Jesus says in response, I want you now to go to one of the most dangerous places in the world, a nation in Africa torn apart by civil war. And I, I want you there to work with the victims of that civil war. I want you to love those who have been abused and have been violated and damaged. I want you to go to work in a hospital there and show what the love of Christ looks like. And that's what she does because she knows that life is all about that one who's called her. She knows that's what life's about. And she's been there for years, and she's still there, and she is seeking to align her life around what she knows is real. Now, I tell you that story about this young woman, not because I think you should do the same thing. I don't think for many of us we would be much help over there. And not because the only response to a joyful encounter with Christ is to go off somewhere to some mission field far away like Nigeria or Honduras. No, I tell you that story to tell you that there is no telling what a person might do if they, if they just give themselves the chance to contemplate, to contemplate where the joy came from. 
It comes from the center of the universe. It comes from the Word who was with God. It comes from the Word made flesh. It comes from the one through whom all things were made. To contemplate where our true joy comes from is to then be evoked, evoked into a response to break the jar, to give the life. That's what it's all about. So when I think back to when I was 10 years old and contemplate the grandeur of that great temple of baseball, I think even more of a time in that same year when I heard the prayer of an old man. Some of you have heard me tell this story. An old man, my grandfather. My grandfather, as many of you know, was a pastor along with my father and that year, they led together the worship service on Christmas Eve in our hometown. And there I am, this little 10-year-old boy sitting in the pew and hearing my grandfather pray in the worship service the Christmas prayer. And while it is very hard to explain, all I can tell you is that that night I heard something holy and glorious. I overheard an old man having a conversation with God. And it sounded like a conversation that was a chat between two old friends. A conversation that made me sense beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was in the room he was in the room, very present. I could feel God's presence in that conversation. It was one of the most real moments of my life. And it was, for this little 10-year-old, sheer joy. And if there have been any moments since when I have moved any chips to the center of the table, broken open any jars of perfume, wagered any part of my life on the rabbi from Nazareth, I trace them to that moment. The prayer of an old man. Glory. Glory, glory. How about you? Have you seen the glory?
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.